Good morning, church. Yeah. How are we doing? We doing okay? Man, you guys, I'm so tired. I did two oceans this morning, and I still showered. I've still got energy. Y'all are yawning in my face. Are we doing okay? We good this morning, church? Yeah, come on. Good to be in God's house uh, on a Sunday morning. We just had an excellent Excellent Easter weekend. Who was here either Friday or Sunday of last week, man? It was uh, phenomenal. God really moved, and uh, it was awesome to just be able to host our community with great worship um, and to lift up the name of Jesus, which is exactly what we did. We also had good chocolates, a great picnic. The Easter bunny was in town. Uh, he looked real good. He, he really, he brought, a, he brought a swagger about him that I never thought he had, so it was great to have him here. And uh, today, really, I'm, I'm quite excited to be sharing. Both Swin and Laura are on leave for the next two weeks, much deserved leave. Um, but as they say, you know, when the cat is away, you know, the, the mice will jaw. So that is what we're going to be doing. Before we do start with the message today, I really just wanted to take um, just time to honor some people. Um, our Easter weekend and, and even this whole year, being in a brand new building and doing church and having just the most amazing time, this really wouldn't be possible without the amazing people that are a part of our serving teams, our dream teams that serve from uh, worship to production to kids to cafe to setup. They really make church possible on a Sunday. I know a lot of people, you rock up at 9.30 and it's awesome and it's cool and there's a disco ball, rad. Like, church just happens, but, but that, really isn't, that really isn't the case. We've got some amazing, faithful, hardworking, inspiring people who sacrifice time every single weekend to be able to help other people facilitate and meet Jesus and encounter him and have their life changed. So can we just put our hands together for our amazing dream team, wherever they are? Fantastic. And today I'm so excited to... Um, be sharing a message, and, and next week, Sunday, we've got Sarah that's going to be preaching somebody, so you're going to want to, you're going to want to invite your friend Sarah, just quick, five minutes, what are you preaching on? Not, you're not, re okay, we're going to keep that locked in for next week, Sunday, I love that. Sarah's going to be preaching, and today, really, in, in kind of preparation for, for today's message, I'm actually preaching a message that I've preached before, uh, but it was many years ago, it was about five years ago, and I really felt God um, press on my heart this week quite heavily on identity. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why, but, but I felt quite convicted and, and also got me thinking about the world we live in, the times we live in, uh, what people are going through. We are really in an identity crisis as a people at the moment. We are so earnestly seeking for what we feel is authentically us. Uh, but the problem is we look in all the wrong places. We, we look to the world to tell us who we are and what our purpose is and what our meaning is and what we're called to do. And so often we are left disappointed. Um, I think about some of the American movies that I used to watch growing up. If you, when, in any high school, it was, you know, the factions that were there. You had, you had the jocks. Where are my jocks at? Put your hand up. You're a jock right now. Oh, you're a Kyle? Put it, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle. Kyle, come on now. Come on now. Where my nerds? Any nerds at? Any nerds at here? Where my creatives? My creative people? Good. Some of you just, I'm none of those things. You have the skaters. 
I loved watching those. I, I loved watching that because what people do is they, they find identity in a group of people. And, and then when you've got that, then you've got belonging. And then when you've got belonging, you can be comfortable. And in this world, it feels like we're on a journey of trying to find belonging, trying to find the authentic self, who we are. The problem with that, and especially searching for it in the world, is that that will always change because the world is always changing. It'll always be about you. It'll be about your accomplishments. It'll be about, you know, how well you can do. You know, you're a jock if you're, if you're playing for the football team. But as soon as you get dropped from the football team, hey, you've got to find another group. When it comes to the kingdom of God and being a Christian, we don't find our identity in who we are, but it's in fact whose we are. Today, I want to share on identity, and I want to preach a message that can remind you that who you are, the purpose and the calling that God has got for your life and and in your life has got nothing to do with what you do and what you bring and what you can achieve, but it's, in fact, associating yourself with a Father in heaven who loves you, who's created you, and who He has put together your purpose and your calling and the great things He's got planned for your life. Can I get an amen? For me, that's encouraging to know that I don't have to be the designer of my future because all too often I get things wrong. But God is the only one who continually gets things right. And the most encouraging thing is that he actually never changes. He is the same yesterday, the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. When we want to lean into identity, it's about forming an identity on who God is, not on who we are. Just a couple of scriptures to lean into before we get into our big preaching passage Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This passage speaks right into the design of who we are. We are created in the image of God. Now, that is the powerful characteristic that we as humanity can hold on to, that until there is is a knowledge, unity in the knowledge of the fact that there is a God in heaven who's our Father, He's created us. He gives us identity. There will always be a sense of missing. There'll be a sense of, I I feel like I'm getting something right, but I I feel like there's more. There's got to be more. I heard a preacher speak about a a cross-shaped void in your heart, and you will try to fill that void with everything in life. It might be relationships. It might be money. It could be drugs, it could be any type of addiction, the thing you think is going to bring fulfillment, but until you fill that void with the cross of Jesus, it'll always feel like something is missing and lacking. And the great scripture there that is really quite a lot simpler than finding the thing is John 1 verse 12 in the NIV that says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not about what we can do, but about accepting the message of Jesus Christ when we hear it. So I thought this would be so appropriate to share today because straight after Easter, I mean, a lot of us are presented with Jesus or reminded of Jesus, but there are implications to choosing Jesus. It's not just an emotional experience on a weekend where we respond to great worship and now my life has changed. No, we go on the journey of becoming like Christ. Now that journey is called sanctification. It means that, yes, I get saved, But still in my life, there's going to be things that I struggle with, that I have challenges with. But it's okay because it is a marathon, not a sprint. And a part of that marathon is understanding our identity. So today I want to share a passage from uh, the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1 to 11. And there's some interesting names here um, that if you are expecting children at some point, I mean, really, there's some great ideas 
creative son's names coming from the passage today. So I'm going to read this, and then we're going to see what God has for us in terms of identity. 2 Samuel verse, chapter 9, verse 1 to 11 reads like this. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. He's a cripple. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Emil, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said to him, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So this is a lot um, of scripture, so I'm going to give you guys um, some context. Uh, We're reading about a guy called Mephibosheth. So that's the great name I really was punting um, for you guys. And Mephibosheth is is a special character in the Bible. Not too much is written about him, but what you could probably deduce from the passage was that he was a guy who was crippled, Um, did not have much going for him until the king called for him. So just a bit of context into who's who here. So we're reading about David. Uh, We all know David, David and Goliath. So David at the point in this scripture is already the king of Israel. He is already uh, in a place of great honor and great authority. Mephibosheth is the grandson of King Saul. So for those of you who know the Bible, King Saul was the king before King David, and King Saul actually gave David a very hard time because Saul was quite insecure, the fact that David got anointed to be king, so he spent a lot of his latter years trying to take David out. What was interesting about that whole situation was that King Saul had a son, Mephibosheth's dad. His name was Jonathan. Now, Jonathan and David, even though Jonathan's dad didn't like David very much, Jonathan and David got on swimmingly. They were best friends. And at one point in Jonathan's life, David said to him, you know what, whatever happens between our families, I will always look after and honor anybody that is in your household. Now that honor and oath is incredibly important for what's happening here. Later on, what would happen is that King Saul would be defeated by the Philistine army. They would go and kill him and kill Jonathan. And what was custom of that time in Scripture was that when a new kingdom would overthrow a previous kingdom, they would go to the household of the old king and they would kill everybody else. This was to make sure that no heir could later rise up and be a threat to the new kingdom. Does that make sense? Bit of a history lesson here, Game of Thrones style. Stick with me. Some of you, I haven't watched, why are you clapping for Game of Thrones? <laughs> what is this? 
I've never watched Game of Thrones. Oh, weird. I'm a Christian. There you go. But on the day that the Philistine army went to Saul's household and killed everybody, there was a young boy who was five years old at the time who had a nurse that looked after him, and his nurse decided that he was not going to die today. So she wrapped him up in towels and cloths, and she began to run out with him. But unfortunately, as she was running out with him to keep him safe from the Philistine army, she dropped the boy, Mephibosheth. He landed on his ankles, and from that moment on, he was crippled for the rest of his life. That was his story. Um, now we find ourselves a few years later on. Mephibosheth is now living in a place called Lodabar. Now Lodabar, translated, uh, quite literally means place of nothing. Now what you need to understand about being a cripple in the context of the Bible and in the Bible times was that you were a lower grade citizen. You could not work. You could not contribute to society. There was no value that you could add. You would beg for your food. You would live on the ground. You would always be at the whim or the kindness of the people around you. He lived in a place, roughly translated to place of nothing. His life at that point was absolutely nothing. He comes from a dead family. Nobody was left. He was all by himself. He was a cripple. He had nothing to offer the world. All he was doing was existing. Now, this is an incredibly uh, powerful picture to understand for us today because we can often find ourselves in moments where we feel like we lack purpose or that we live in a place like Lodabar for ourselves, where it just feels like nothing's happening. You might not be a cripple, but it feels like that meaning and purpose is void in your life. The identity that you have formed for yourself has been built on all of the wrong things, and as soon as those things shift and change, you find yourself in a place of nothing. You find yourself in Lodabar. Now, what is so interesting about this specific passage is that David remembered the oath that he made to Jonathan and Jonathan's family, and he said, you know what, I'm going to honor that oath today, and he said in verse 1, is there anybody left in the family of Jonathan that I can honor today? Notice the words he used in verse 1, is there anybody left? Not, is there anybody significant? Is there anybody valuable? Is there anybody doing anything amazing? He just said, is there is there anybody left? Because the oath to lift him up and to put him at the seat of David had nothing to do with what he was or who he was. It was about the oath that he had made to his father, Jonathan. Today, the encouragement for the church is that God wants to lift you up. You find yourself in a low place today. You find yourself in a broken place today, in a place void of meaning or purpose, or it feels like something is missing. God wants to elevate you to a seat at his table today based not on your life, based not on how well you've been doing, based not on all the great deeds you've accomplished, medals and certificates. It's got nothing to do with that. It's based on a relationship that he has with Jesus Christ, who decided to die on the cross for your sins and to give you right standing with God. He wants to elevate you to the Father's table. It has nothing to do with the sins and mistakes of your life. I heard an incredible story um, during the Alpha course. Who's, that, who's done the Alpha course before? Maybe you would have heard it. Yeah. It was about a guy called Nicky Gumbel. He had a friend um, who was a particularly, I want to say a bad guy, but maybe, maybe that's not the right words to put it. He was incredibly wealthy. Um, he did whatever he wanted to do. He was addicted to drugs. His life to the outside looked okay, but really it was void of 
all type of meaning and purpose. He felt empty. He got to a point where he OD'd, and then he went to hospital. And uh, next to his hospital bed, he saw a Bible. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, cool, like, reads the Bible and gets saved, you know? (laughs) So he opens the Bible, starts to feel the texture of the paper. And he's like, you know what? This paper could be good for rolling joints. And he began to smoke his way through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. (laughs) Thought they would go differently. Man, and then he, and then for some reason, he just started beginning to read the book of John. And he met Jesus in that hospital bed, right there in that moment. Imagine smoking pages of the Bible. But the grace of God is so good that he'll still save you if you decide to read a few pages. That's not it. Then his doctor at the time was also unsaved. He begins to ministering to her about Jesus and the goodness of God. She gets saved. Then they get married. Then they start serving an alpha and help other people get saved and meet Jesus. The point is this. The point is, is a very simple. It does not matter what your life has looked like up until this point. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are or the labels other people have put on your life. He's a cripple. He means nothing. He's from nothing. If you are to encounter Jesus and understand your identity that you've got in him, in a moment, everything can change. Mephibosheth stood... David said, hey, is there anybody left in Jonathan's household that I can honor? Because it's not about them. It's about what I want to bring into their life. I want to elevate them. The reason why I think identity is so important is because we can wear labels in this life, church. I was quite chubby when I was younger. I like to bring this up in messages so people can feel sorry for me. And I got nicknamed Caramello Bear in grade four. Aw, I mean, look at me now, sucker. (laughs) I had to, I had to, I had to. Anyway, my point is this, my point is this. I wore that label mentally and emotionally for a lot longer than what I actually looked like a caramello bear. I don't know if anybody here has been given a label before, or someone has told you you are something, or maybe your parent was a certain way and you're just like them. You're just gonna be like them, or that's just who you are and what you are, and you, and you wear a label, and that label begins to define and identify the type of person that you are. It's very difficult to take off labels that other people put on you. It's almost impossible to take off labels that you put on yourself. David calls Mephibosheth, And Mephibosheth doesn't even realize what's happening in this moment. He says to David, what would you want with a dead dog like me? Calls himself a dog because he had lived like a dog. He was always close to the ground. He was always lying on the floor where other people sat at a table and had meals. He waited for the crumbs to fall off the side. What would you want with a dead dog like me? My concern and my heartbreak for anybody who has labels on themselves is that we become so focused on the moment that you were dropped that you can't even realize the moment when you're getting elevated. It's important that we understand that Mephibosheth was dropped. He was five years old. 
His nurse was trying to rescue him, trying to save his life, but she dropped him, and it was horrible. And it has shaped his life up until this point. I want to say there might be people here today that have experienced something that was not your fault, that you've had to go through, that you've had to deal with. I come from a broken family. I know what divorce looks like. Maybe you've gone through a divorce that wasn't your fault. Maybe you were exposed to something as a very young person that should never have happened to you. I've heard stories this week. I've been chatting to people this week. There are messed up things that happen on this earth. This earth is cursed. There is sin on this earth. I'm not standing here for a second and telling you that that stuff doesn't hurt, that that stuff doesn't leave a mark, that it doesn't scar you. I really believe that it does. But at some point in the Christian journey of faith, we go on a place where we can say, you know what, the, the, the world, these people have labeled me as one thing, but I choose to accept the label of my Father in heaven who calls me prized son and daughter of the Most High God. It's a decision that you gotta make. Because you can live as a victim, but a Christian victim is not a thing. You cannot be a son of God, a professing Christian, but live in a way where you are victim to what has happened to you. I understand things happen to people in this life, but you've got to understand that God has given you a brand new identity. We are not labeled like other people label. We are given one label by our God in heaven, and that is loved, cherished, called, and there is a purpose for your life. I will. I love a scripture in Romans 8 verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's a new label for somebody here today, a conqueror, an overcomer. Life can often feel like we are being conquered and overcome. Even just this weekend, I have been dealing with thoughts of just, I, I want to feel like my, my footing and my foundation is on something solid. And I felt God challenge me this morning as I was praying before getting ready. He's like, your focus is on, not on me. Your focus is on your issue. It's on your problem. And we often, and I love this saying, is, is we, we keep telling God how big our problems are. Well, God, I'm struggling with this and my dog keeps chewing the couch and this keeps happening here and this keeps happening here. But it's a focus. When you understand your identity, you can say my starting point is not my problem. My starting point is my God. Does my problem, is my problem aware of how big my God is, how my God has never changed or shifted? He is still the same and he loves me and he's called me and his plan for my life hasn't changed. For some people today, it's to understand that the plan that God has for your life is not interrupted by your mess ups and stuff ups and mistakes. Does that make sense? You don't get saved and never sin again. One of the great questions that I'm gonna ask God is God, when I got saved, could you not have re removed my sinful nature? That would have been incredibly helpful for me because now, I don't know if anybody else had this, we get saved, but you almost feel worse because now you're aware of the sinful nature in your life. You almost want to do God's will more than ever before, but now you are come face to face, you're confronted with the sin inside of you, and it feels like a tension and a challenge every single day. Anybody else feel that? I'm like, God, I want to be a good person. Man, I'm not capable of being a good person. Whenever I'm confronted with my sinfulness, with where I lack and where I am not enough, it's in that moment where I say, God, thank you that you are enough. Thank you, Jesus, that your sacrifice was enough, that your grace was for my past sins and my future sins. You are all that I need. 
Mephibosheth saw himself as a dead dog. He couldn't recognize in a moment that the king wanted to elevate him. Man, I, I would hate for that to be anybody's story in our church today. To just for a second to believe the label of some idiot person that told you what they think you are and what you're gonna amount to because of your family or your background. Man, I couldn't care less. I care about what God thinks. You live for the audience of one, always. I've got one point left and I don't know if we have a, we've got a guitar, I think. Awesome. It's a scary moment when you are invited to the table or when you acknowledge that God has got something more for your life than what you've been accustomed to. If you can think about, if we can just put ourselves in Mephibosheth's Mephibosheth's shoes. You're probably thinking, why did a guy with a lisp pursue a job in public speaking? Because of God's grace. You put yourself in his shoes It can be very difficult in that moment to have lived one way, have thought one way, have allowed people to speak to you one way for your whole life, and now you are living a different way. The offer from David is quite simple. I want to look after you for the rest of your life. Not because of who you are and what you've done, but because of a relationship I had with your dad, Jonathan. And it's the same principle for us today. God promises to look after you and to walk with you and to guide you all the days of your life, not based on who you are, but based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the principle here. But if you put yourself, if we're going to try to learn a practical lesson here, Mephibosheth lived on the floor. He never sat, he never sat at the table. Now, if you can just picture for a moment, and the first time I preached this message, I actually had a table with a tablecloth. And, and I love the picture of somebody moving from the floor to the table because he was a cripple. His, um, his sin was obvious. Let's just put it that way. What made him different was obvious. Everybody could see it. Maybe you've done some public things in your life that's obvious, and people associate you with the things that you've done. Don't, don't put up your hand. Sorry, that's weird. What's awesome about taking a seat at the table with the tablecloth is that you can no longer see Mephibosheth's broken ankles or heels when he's sitting at the table, everybody looks the same when they're sitting at the table. Here's the thing about grace. No one actually deserves a seat at God's table, but he hands out invitations anyway. For David and and Mephibosheth in this moment, it's just if he could realize that, yes, I'm a cripple. Yes, I've got nothing good to bring. I've got nothing good to add, but the grace of God covers my sin, covers my shame. I can take a seat because a seat has been prepared for me, for everybody sitting in church today. And I might be speaking to, maybe you're all sitting here and you're saying, Phil, I haven't sinned since 03. I've got a great life. I do things well. You know what? That's amazing. But I needed to hear this message when I was younger because that was not my story. My story was mess up after mess up, low valley after low valley. And I needed to be reminded that God loves me anyway. And it's not about getting my life right or fixing myself. It's about accepting a seat at the table, allowing God to cover my sin, and then going on a journey with God that is a marathon, not a sprint. 
our prayer for our church, and we say this a lot, is to love God more in our 70s and 80s than we love Him today. That is inspiring. Do you know how challenging that is? Because when you're in your 70s and 80s, you've seen some life. You've gone through some things. You've had to navigate the highs and the lows. But I still want to love Jesus in that moment. Today, I'm preaching about identity. I'm asking you to accept the identity that God has given for your life. But at the same time, tear off the labels that the world has put on you. And also tear off the labels that you have put on yourself. Based on the things that you have maybe done. All the things that have been done to you. Life is unfair. When you're a child, everything is unfair. Am I right? Everything's unfair. That's unfair. He's got a bigger piece of biltong. Unfair. More milk in his cereal. Unfair. At some point, you mature and you start to understand, hey, life is sometimes unfair. Today, I'm not speaking about what's happened to you and you need to get over it and grow up. No, man, I, I believe it was painful. I believe there's people in here today that have gone through some things and I'd love to hear your story. I, I'm with you. I empathize with you. But right now in this moment, Satan will use that to hold you back from your destiny because you've gone through too much. You're too broken. You're too sinful. Today, God is saying, tear off the label. Step into what I've called you to be, and that is an overcomer in Christ. Is that okay? Can I pray for us today? Come on, let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, we believe you are with us today. Would you just begin to soften our hearts? Lord, I wanna pray for people that are sitting here today that have maybe gone through tough moments, tough seasons. Maybe they've made poor choices or poor choices have been made that have negatively impacted them. God, I pray for some people that feel like Mephibosheth today on the ground, broken. But God, help us to recognize your hand that reaches out and that invites us to have a seat at the table. Lord, would you help us to wear the identity of a son and daughter of the Most High God who has got a great plan for our life to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. God, even in a hopeless situation right now, God, help us to realize that there is hope for our future because of Jesus Christ. God, we wanna pray for this world. The world is struggling for identity. People are changing genders. People are, cha are leaving their families, searching for an authentic picture of themselves. God, let the revelation drop that an authentic understanding of us comes from an authentic understanding of you today. God, give us a revelation of who you are. Your scripture says you designed us in our mother's wombs. What an intentional picture of creation. You knitted us together. You put our purpose, our plan, our life, our appearance, you knitted us together, God. Help us to catch that revelation. Let it be a conviction in our hearts and let us trust you with the design and the future of our lives. God, if there's anybody here today, Lord, that is maybe struggling, struggling with identity, 
struggling with purpose, or even just struggling to believe there's a God that loves them. Lord, help us to, ex- help us to accept your grace and your love this morning. And if there's anybody here today that's saying, Phil, I've never even accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, as my personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. It's choosing His identity. It's choosing the labels He has over the labels that the world has. So if there's anybody here this morning, on the count of three, everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If there's anybody here this morning that's saying, Phil, I want to choose Jesus. I want Him to be the center of my life. I believe He is the Lord of my life, Son of God, died on the cross for my sin, rose again, and is coming back. I believe it with my heart. If there's anybody here today, one, two, three, just shoot your hand up, wherever you are. If there's any hands, we've just got something we want to put in your hand. I just want to pray for you as well. If there's anybody here today that's saying, Phil, that's me. Yep, I see that hand at the top. If we can shoot somebody up to the top, please. Just keep your hand up if that's you. If there's anybody else here right now in this moment, shoot your hand up if that's you. Thank you, Lord. God, we worship you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We pray, let this word come into our hearts. Let good seeds be sown. We thank you, Lord, for the plan and future you have for our lives. We worship you, Jesus. Amen.